Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 25th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo. And with me today, I'd like to introduce our triumvirate of investing experts here to share their wisdom with us. Steve Haight, head of equities, Rajiv Sharma, head of fixed income, and Don Saverno, senior lead research analyst focused on international markets. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been a fairly positive week for the stock market thus far. So we'll start with a light economic update for the week, and then we'll move on to perspectives on the market. So first, leading the economic indicators from late last week were still positive for February. Durable goods this week were a little soft for February. And again, note that both these readings were prior to some of the um, downstream effects of the invasion into Ukraine. So we'll look at those numbers as they come in through March. PMI indices for manufacturing and services still were expanding, and unemployment claims on Thursday were at a 52-year low. So the the, uh, employment market continues to be strong with those backdrop. Steve, what do you think that means for the perspectives of the markets? How does that translate? Brian, you know, this week has really been a interesting one from the perspective of we've seen the market rally right up to what I think myself and many others have looked at is, is important technical resistance between 4550 and 4600. We're heading uh, almost up to the 40-year trend line for the downtrend in the 10-year. Um, so we're, we're reaching some really important points on the chart right now, and, and it's coming right as we're getting this uh, situation with uh, you've got the obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation, which is causing a commodity spike. You've got the Fed uh, embarking on a aggressive tightening cycle for the first time in a generation, and we're and you know, from a shorter term perspective, we're right heading into an earnings season that could be very key in terms of telling us what the uh, the market thinks all these things are going to uh, impact or actually how how all these things are going to impact companies that, that make up the market so you know it's been really a, a week of a lot of cross currents um you know i'm i'm curious about what rajiv's perspective is on this spike that we see continuing in the 10 year you know it really does concern me that when i look at a, a chart that goes back to 1980 there have been four times that we've challenged this downtrend line since then um, and all, all of those resulted in significant corrections to the stock market. So it's, you know, Rajiv, what do you what do you think? Where where are we really headed with this? I mean, the the momentum right now looks relentless. I agree, Steve. I think the fixed income markets are finally taking the Federal Reserve at its word, um, and because the Fed is really doubling down on their messaging. Uh, we saw a Fed that was, uh, you know, as you know, Steve, they would have been talking about transitory inflation. Uh, all of last year, and then all of a sudden they pivoted, and now they're really doubling down on it. And they're saying, whatever it takes, uh, we're going to bring inflation under control. 
Uh, we saw the FOMC last week. They talked about 25 basis points. They did it. They did the hike of 25 basis points. That's behind us. But this week, uh, Fed Chair Powell, again, aggressively focused on monetary policy to control inflation. And uh, with that, he's not putting 50 basis points off the table. So the next meeting, you could see a 50 basis point hike. And the market really reacted to that. We saw the yield curve, as you mentioned, completely jump across the curve. 10 years getting to levels that we haven't seen in a very long time. And, uh, you know, many, many investors are are readjusting their year-end targets for the 10-year now. I mean, you saw a lot of people talk about 2% by the end of the year, then 225, and now we're beyond that. So you're talking 250, 275. 275. Do I hear three? Do I hear three? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no <laughs> limit. <laughs> There's really no limit of where uh, the mark-to-market of your year-end adjustments of 10-year is going. And uh, I, I think really this, uh, this hawkish stance by the Fed is really going to resonate through the market. Uh, we see yields on treasuries, they're jumping. Yields on the two-year have surged the biggest quarterly increase in almost four decades. The difference between a five-year and a 30-year right now is the narrowest since it's been to, since uh, 2007. We're just at 10 basis points between a five and a 30-year. So why would you go out further in the curve? Why not stay on the five-year or stay short? That's really what we've been telling investors is to stay, stay short in this type of environment. And if you just look at the global aggregate index, it's the worst start of a year that we've had. I mean, it, it, it's down 6.55% this year already. So it, it's ugly right now in, in fixed income. The only thing I can say is with yields where they are, some investors are using this as a, you know, this is a good time to get involved. And uh, if you have a two year at over 2%, why hold cash? Why not just yeah, buy it? You know, the thing that I, I keep looking at though, when I look at this, you know, the the downtrend line for the 10 years at 285. And, you know, we've been below this downtrend now for, for, for 40 years. Like nobody, it's a, it's a, if we were to, to reverse that and, and to break that to the upside, I mean, we're in a, we would be in a new world. That's a 40 year trend change. And nobody in our investing generation has any real inkling of what happens when you don't have a secular downtrend in rates. I mean, everybody has been trained on this and it's, to me, an open question of, uh, uh, of what, 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 what the implications are for that. I mean, I'll give you one example. I mean, the, six, the typical 60-40 portfolio has worked because we've had that downtrend in rates as a backdrop. And you know, this year is a perfect example. You alluded to it. The drawdown for a global fixed income is the worst that the global Barclays aggregates ever had. Now that index doesn't go back as far as the, the, the US ag, but still, you know, you're looking at the potential death of the 60-40 portfolio. We've got Don Saverno on here with us. Don, I mean, you know, when you think about things from an um, um, international perspective, you know, are you seeing things that ask you about that or make you think about the, the, the death of the 60-40 portfolio or the you know, problems with international allocations? I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Um, actually, yes, I do, Steve. And um, hello, everyone. Uh, so it, mostly it makes me think about the Eurozone right now. Um, international allocations, uh, they, they've, been, uh, they, they've been a poor allocation decision for almost a decade now uh, as a part of that 60-40 diversification type portfolio. Uh, we're, we're still seeing kind of lower rates in the Eurozone. 
but uh, even even there, we're we're looking at rate rises as soon as maybe Q4 of this year. They're they're a little bit late because of some uh, uh, kind of energy issues that they're having right now. You know, uh, came into the year, you know, vaccinations increasing, easing restrictions, higher savings rate in the e European Union. Uh, it looked like it actually had a, a chance to begin kind of outperforming. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the Russian-Ukraine conflict, uh, all, all those are off the table now. Can um, I just say, it always yeah. seems like Europe is poised for outperformance and then there's something. That yeah, yeah, it's always uh, they they are the bad luck. It's a it's a comic strip. It's the Charlie Brown. There's it's a good grief moment, and we're kind of seeing the same thing in EM in general now as well. Uh, it, here's a dirty little secret: uh, manufacturing PMIs in developed markets over the past decade have actually been higher than manufacturing PMIs in emerging markets. Uh, we, we've, we, we've been kind of trained over the past decade to think that uh, global growth is going to be driven by emerging economies and things like that, and that, uh, that that's just not the case right now. <laughs> now. You know, one of the things that caught my eye this week was this uh, talk of a lockdown again in China as COVID cases, their spike. I mean, it seems like the rest of the world has gotten over COVID as a potentially market-moving issue. But China still is pursuing this zero COVID policy in a time where we've got a highly transmissible, if less virulent, um, variants. You know, I, I'm concerned that they could do something in terms of trying to lock down their economy that could have knock-on implications for the rest of the world in terms of economic growth expectations for the, the middle of the year and, and beyond. What are you hearing about what's going on in China right now? Sure, sure. Um, so China is actually slightly backing off of their COVID zero policies. Uh, in, in the past, over the past two years, if there are, you know, if there were 10 cases, 20 cases in an area, everything would get shut down. Uh, but right now with the BA2 variants, um, so kind of the extension of Omicron, uh, what, what we're seeing is there's a lot of cases in Shenzhen right now. And Shenzhen is, is a big uh, industrial. There's a lot of manufacturing. There, there are a lot of factories in Shenzhen. And just yesterday, I'm sorry, earlier this week, uh, Chinese government announced that they're allowing the Shenzhen factories to reopen. Uh, they're, they're not keeping them closed. So we're starting to see a shift away from that COVID zero policy. And China's a little bit different than the rest of the world right now, where we're seeing rate rises and we're seeing kind of tightening around the rest of the world. We're actually seeing easing in China. Um, and we just had a huge policy shift over the past week uh, where China is actually being more um, more advantageous to the markets in general. So they're, they're cutting, you know, provisions for stock settlement. Uh, they're easing lending standards. Uh, you know, they're, they're taking measures to weaken the yuan, but, uh, but they're, they're trying to keep their economy open as much as possible while not appearing to lose face by uh, just coming out and saying directly that they're stopping the COVID zero policy. You make a good point too about the the loosening, and that's one of those things that I think that a lot of people have picked up on over the last say ten plus years coming out of the global financial crisis. Is that every time we've started to see financial conditions in one part of the world tighten, whether it's been in the U.S. or whether it's been in Europe, there's always been 
a countervailing force someplace else in the world that was loosening at the same time. So we never, we've never had a synchronized tightening of conditions across the globe at the same time. And it, I think that this loosening by China right now is something that we all should pay attention to because while the Fed is tightening and conditions in Europe are, are clearly tightening, the Chinese loosening should act, help to act as a bit of a pressure valve from, from that tightening cycle here domestically. At least it seems that way to me. It could be. And uh, just something that goes along with that is uh, China also came out and said that they uh, do find that um, international listings for their securities is a positive um, and that uh, they are going to pursue kind of more foreign listings in the future. Uh, it kind of helps uh, kind of globalization trends that are really uh, going the wrong way. You know, we're, we're entering this phase where, you know, globalization 2.0 is really about uh, getting back to your own hemisphere of influence or something like that. Uh, so just uh, China being open enough to say that uh, foreign listings are important uh, could, could help uh, kind of alleviate that trend for a little while in the short term. I was just going to throw it back to Rajiv real quick, Steve, on that topic yeah. of tightening. Uh, there's been an increased percentage probability of a 50 basis point hike in May and possibly the month after that. Uh, your quick thoughts on that, then we'll move back to Steve and Don. Oh, I think the Fed has been very aggressive. I think uh, in their telegraphing of their messaging of, uh, you know, how aggressive they need to be. I think 50 basis points is not off the table at all coming May. Uh, if we don't see any type of slowdown in, in uh, inflation, and I don't expect that to happen before uh, before May. So we could see that. What my eyes are really on is the Fed minutes that we're going to see coming up. And uh, in those Fed minutes, you're going to really see, I, I believe, a Fed membership that's aggressively talking about inflation and what needs to be done. Uh, Powell has telegraphed a faster pace of QT uh, because he quantitative tightening later this year. We could see some, I know they're going to be talking about that uh, in the upcoming weeks. We could see some kind of um, information about how they want to, um, you know, reduce their balance sheet, reduce the Fed balance sheet. Uh, that would be very interesting. I think that would uh, really impact the market. If you think about the uh, Federal Reserve's plan to shrink its $9 trillion balance sheet, whatever they plan to do, and if it's in the second half of the year, assume that to be one, the impact of that to be one rate hike. So if we're talking about six more rate hikes this year, just reducing the balance sheet itself would be another one. So you're talking seven. So, and the market sees that. One, one quick question for you that something that caught my eye this week and I really don't really know what to make of it is I, I know we, we've talked an awful lot in these calls about how credit has really become the key tell for the market since the global financial crisis. And, you know, we've watched uh, both high yield and, and IG CDXs move higher. Although this week, it seems to me there's been a divergence in the CDX with high yield continuing to, to, to improve or at least be you know, a little bit tighter than it's been. But we saw some weakness in uh, investment grade CDX relative to high yield. I mean, has there been anything you know, kind of idiosyncratic within the, the IG market this week that, that's, that's causing this? That's a great question, Steve. I think what's really happened here is that uh, New issuance has not slowed down in investment grade, and uh, it's almost a money grab, the last second money grab before rates really start ticking up 
which they have that issuers are saying, you know, let's get in there now because rates are going to go higher. Let's issue new bonds. They're, they're adding concessions that we haven't seen all of last year. So some of this new issuance that's coming out, it's actually looking really attractive compared to uh, secondary issuance out there. And so investors are getting excited. They're, these deals are getting done. They're getting done at very attractive levels for both the issuer and the investor. But what's happening is it's repricing the secondary market. So now you have your existing issues, they're going wider. And I think CDS is getting impacted by the, uh, by the new issuance that's coming out. Great, thanks for the comments, Rajiv. Steve, one final question for you and then one for Don. Steve, what do you think about the current rally in the last two weeks in the stock market? What would you like our listeners to know? What are your thoughts and, and where, do you see, where do you see us going? Well, it's really taken me by surprise, I won't lie. And you know, we've had, uh, we, we still have not seen a lot of the typical indicators that would confirm that this rally is durable. So, um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, price trumps all. And I, I think that if we get a, a move through that 4550 to 4600, um, then, you know, the, we're, then it's game on again for, for risk assets. Um, I think it's gonna be really telling as we head into earnings season, this is an important earnings season. Um, we always say that it is, but but this this time even more so. Uh, we want to continue to see those earnings numbers go up and to the right. And I just don't know that guidance is going to meet people's expectations. So so we'll have to see. We're at a key juncture on the chart, though. There's no doubt about that. Uh, feeling a lot better than we were a couple weeks ago, for sure. But I still don't think we're out of the woods, to be honest with you. Great. Thanks, Steve. And Don, for you, just on China-U.S. Russia relations, any thoughts you want to share just in closing on what you think that might mean for us going forward? Sure, sure. And uh, actually, in the in the U.S. European Union talks yesterday, it, it came out that uh, there, there's a warning on sanctions evasion, and that's really directed at China. So uh, basically, the U.S. is warning China that uh, they're, they're, they're not to increase their uh, help trying to make up the losses that uh, Russia is incurring in basically the global blockade, um, that China can continue its current uh, trading, but uh, not any anything additional. And I, I think it's just, uh, it, it's continuing to fracture the relationship bet between the US and the West and with China. I, I mean, this is, um, this is something that can, uh, kind of start a bipolarization of the world, that uh, there, there's going to be the East versus the West. Uh, this is maybe the beginning of that as China becomes more and more powerful. Uh, but this is, this is something that is uh, years and years and a decade in the future. Uh, but it's, it's going to be very interesting over the next six months to a year on how US-China relations uh, evolve based on what's happening in Eastern Europe right now. It, it's um, it has the it has the possibility of becoming uh, very bad very quickly, but uh, sometimes politics can uh, alleviate the pressures and uh, keep uh, keep your enemies closer uh, over time. Steve, Rajiv, and Don, thanks for providing your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. 
and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key ba- private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.